Aloha, Mission Church. Oh, so good. What an exciting day to be in the house of the Lord. And Theron, thanks for uh, talking about um, Mission University, all the, the fun summer class. It's been a fun, fun summer so far. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too, and, and that you get to participate in some of the fun things that we're doing. We have an improv class today, pickleball and surfing on Saturdays. I teach a ping-pong class, but it's going to be next month. So, And when we met, we had such a great time. And we do all this, just so you know, we do all this so that we can build relationships with one another. Deepen our relationship with one another, and then encourage one another in our relationship with the Lord. So, uh, speaking of that, on Thursday night, um, we started a, uh, a, a group called Summer Fun for our um, recently graduate graduates from college and our college students this summer. That has been fun. Has it been fun, guys? Yeah, it's been so much fun. And um, we met last week at Steve and Liz Horrocks' home. Uh, we, we had pizza, and we, we opened the Word, and we, we, we learned together. And uh, we were alternating each week. We're going to study the Word, and then we're going to have fun. We're going to study the Word and have fun. So next week, we're going to have fun. And you guys are coming to my house, and then we're going to um, make locomocos or something. We're going to have fun and, and enjoy a good time. So if you're a young adult, college student, um, let me know. And, uh, and I'd love to invite you to be a part of all the great things that are going on in the life of the church. And where's Colleen? Colleen, I will come and help on Saturday with the women's. I'm going to forego surfing so I can be with you. And uh, I invite any of the other men who are available to come join me. So we can help the ladies have a great event. Amen? And we've got to dismiss the children. <laughs> children, you are dismissed. It's in my notes right here. I swear, I was going to come right to it. But that's the glory of having a great wife. Oh, my word. Thank you, Rochelle. It's been so exciting to see our children's ministry growing Thank you, Renata and Tiranata, for your ministry to our children. And it's been exciting to see the church grow. Um, our seats are, 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 are filled, but I'm going to talk a little bit about that. And just the joy of seeing God at work in the life of the church. And, um, and we are in a sermon series talking about the church. Our sermon series, for those of you who are guests with us, is called Our Ecclesiology. We're talking about the theology we have about church, about what we do here and who we are. And, um, and believe it or not, we've spent the last three months doing this because this is such an important thing for all of us to understand and recognize that when we gather together as the body of Christ to know who we are and what is it that we do together. And this actually was born out of the previous sermon series that we began at Advent. And so for the, 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 the six or seven months before that, we did a sermon series called Christology 101. When we looked at what is the theology of who we understand Jesus to be in our lives. And the reason that is so important and that led into this sermon series is because I sincerely believe that born out of our, Christo our Christology, we enter into living out our ecclesiology. 
So, born out of our understanding, our theological understanding of who Jesus is to us, our, our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man, all that we understand Jesus to be, when we, when we wrestle with that and understand who Jesus is, it gives birth to us living out what we believe together as the community of believers that follows Jesus. Our Christology gives birth and gives life to our ecclesiology. And we also see this in the Word of God. So today, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to begin reading at verse 13 through 19. And here is another great example of Christology giving birth to ecclesiology. And this is Jesus' teaching and example to us. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to read along with me in Matthew chapter 16. And, and I want you to listen for the Christology that Jesus begins with. How he forms that with his disciples. And then he brings in an ecclesi- a message of ecclesiology. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow, what a great passage of scripture. As we look at how Jesus takes this understanding of who he is as he asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? What do you think? Who do you say that I am? And as they reveal all that they share about their Christology, then Jesus says to the one who recognizes who Jesus really is, to Simon Peter, now Simon, you are Peter. You are the rock on which I will build the church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Wow, amazing. So this passage that I have just read for you and share with you just kind of shows how Christology shapes ecclesiology. And it leads us to understand this very important truth. And that is this, that Christ, I'm sorry, that the church, the church is created from Jesus. That that, that the church wouldn't exist without him. But it is from him and through him that that the church was created. And Jesus embraces this creation of his, this church, as his own. When he says these words, I will build my church. So we know one thing. The church belongs to Jesus. It exists for his glory. 
It exists for his pleasure. It exists to continue to carry out the great purpose for which he came to do. And Theron, I appreciate your prayer about the church being the place where, where the people are used to carry out God's work and God's will to continue to reconcile the world back to him. That's the work of the church. And the church will be victorious because Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, that's good news for us. And here's the beauty of this message today. That Jesus invited Simon Peter and he invites you and I to join him in the work of the church of, of building the kingdom of God through this community right here. So that we can say, this is my church. Right? You are a part of this community. And from that, we say, this is my church. But in reality, the church belongs to Jesus. And when he says, this is my church, he means it kind of the same but a little different. He's a part of this community for sure, but this community belongs to him. He owns this. This is his church. Because Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Savior, and he is the Lord of the church. And that is our ecclesiology. That is our theology of who we are and what we are to do. Oh, my Bible is falling apart. Here you go. I've used this for a long time. I lost my other Bible on vacation and I had to go bring back the one that uh, I used a long time ago, but this is good. So what I want to tell you is that the church is here to continue the work that Jesus began of reconciling the world back to himself. That is why we are here today. And how do we go about doing that? That's the really important question because that forms and shapes our ecclesiology. That's the ecclesiology that we live out. And I want to share a word that Jesus tells us about how that is to happen. In John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus says these words. He says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The church is here to lift Jesus up so that the church can continue the work that Jesus began of reconciling the world back to God. Mm. The church is here to make Jesus the center of it. The church is here to point people back to Jesus by sharing the gospel of the good news of who we are. We tell the world that we serve a risen Savior. A Savior that's full of grace and truth. The grace that we have received and the truth that we believe in. 
And this grace that has been extended to us, we live into. And from Eric, if you're still here, that grace overflows from our lives into the world so that the world may know the Jesus that lives in us. The Jesus that, that owns this church because he said, this is my church. And we testify to the good news of that, that Jesus accepts us just as we are. But he loves us way too much to leave us this way in our sin. But he saves us and redeems us to himself so that as we are transformed and being more and more transformed into his image, we become Jesus bearers into the world. And that's how Jesus, that's how, that's Jesus' plan for his people. And it is his plan for the church. And Jesus said these words in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. And church, this is our Christology. And this is our ecclesiology. And it is from Jesus that we find our way to be the people that, that lift Jesus up so that he can draw all people to himself. I wanted to take the first half of my sermon to make sure that we are on the same page and that we understand the depth of the Christology that we have, because we took six or seven months to talk about that, and the last three to understand our ecclesiology. I took all this time to get to this place because the next part of what I want to share is to let you know that it's not always been this way. It's not always... The, 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 what I want to say is that that it hasn't always been this way, that the, that the church's ecclesiology has taken different forms. And one of them, and, and it was just recently too, one of them was when I was in seminary. Now, I'm going to tell you how long ago I was in seminary. Nobody go ooh and ah because it was a long time ago. But I was in seminary 30 years ago. I know, somebody had to do it. <laughs> I was in seminary 30 years ago. And when I was in seminary, at that time, there was a movement afoot. And that movement was called, for those of you who are around, the church growth movement. The church growth movement took seriously the desire for the church to reconcile people back into a loving relationship with God. It was a good thing. We all, and, and, and when I was in seminary, the professors would teach principles of church growth. And the, the, the real big voices of the church growth movement were the pastors. And, and when I share the churches, you will know who the pastors were, who shared their amazing secrets of how they took their tiny church to become these, these amazing Churches where ten and 20,000 people would attend. Saddleback Church in Illinois was one of the leading churches there. Right up the road from us, uh, Saddleback Church, um, not far from here, two hours up north. And even in Hawaii, New Hope Christian Fellowship, where I grew up in Hawaii, and that church 
10,000 people. And all these pastors, they wrote books about the church growth movement. And they formulated, um, they formulated a way for all churches to experience the kind of growth that they have seen. And a lot of people bought into it. I, as a pastor in Hawaii, I started doing that because I saw the fruit from their church of how you do it. And they said, they took sociology and the research that came with it to understand people and culture. And they formulated what, what we back, back then would call a seeker-sensitive service. And the seeker-sensitive service was fashioned and created so that the church service and the church itself would, would, would be welcoming to unchurched people. And when they entered into the doors of the church, they would not feel uncomfortable at all. And they would enter in, and, and because the focus was on them, guess what happened? It worked. It worked wonderfully in that thousands upon thousands upon thousands streamed into the doors of the church because the focus was on their needs. Right? Whatever it takes to make you feel comfortable, come on in. We will do it at the expense of making sure the focus was kept on Jesus. And while a lot of good, good things came from the church growth movement and having seeker-sensitive services, many people were saved because of that. My church started in Hawaii with that. But retrospectively, looking back on, on those times, I, I can tell you that the good intentions of the church growth movement and creating a seeker-sensitive service came at the expense of what God really intended the church to be. You see... I know, I was going to say, I don't think. I know that the ecclesiology of a seeker-sensitive service is not the ecclesiology that pleases God. I know that. You know why? Because the focus of the whole service is not on God. It's on people. And while that's good to bring people in through the doors of the church, it's a terrible ecclesiology to have. And yet, hundreds of churches, thousands of churches began to, to, to do this very pragmatic thing because it worked. It worked. It worked wonderfully. Churches began to grow and isn't part of our Our purpose is to reconcile people back to God? Shouldn't shouldn't we fill every single seat in our sanctuary with people so that we can tell them about Jesus? Absolutely. That should be the case. And that was what was argued, and people shared it. And, And you can see the value of something that 
Good, because more and more and more churches subscribe to this new model. It swept all through America, got to Hawaii. The bridge church that I started began. I put a lot of principles that I learned in seminary from the church growth movement to make sure that the people that came to my church felt comfortable. But dare I say this, never... Never, never did I ever read God's word to have it say that the reason the church exists is to make Jesus' followers feel comfortable. (laughs) I never read that. In fact, if the church is to be anything, it's to convict us and make us feel a little uncomfortable so that we can be changed and transformed into the image of the one who saves us. Can I get an amen? Isn't that right? I mean, I'm wrestling with this sermon because I'm preaching to me. (laughs) I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh my gosh, this is what I did. You see, I sincerely believe the church growth movement had all the great, the right intentions. Reaching unchurched people to grow the kingdom of God. And we want to do the same thing here. But how we do that is just as important as the fact that we actually do it. And that's where ecclesiology comes into play. Right? How do we do this thing called church? Do we, do we just make it so that we make everybody that comes in feel comfortable? Even though we know that that's not the intention for why the church exists. Or at least that's not the intention for which God created the church to exist. And if I do anything, I want to make sure, as your pastor, that I accomplish what God calls us to do in the life of this church. And to do it the way that God intended for us to do it, I believe anyway. Not just to get people through the doors of the church and be pragmatic about it. But to bring people in so that they encounter God the right way. I don't know if I said that right. This is a hard sermon to preach, just so you know. Jesus was tempted with the same kind of thing, right? When, when Jesus was in the desert. He was tempted to just make sure that the things that you want to accomplish get done. So he comes out of fasting for 40 days, and the devil sees that and says, He's hungry. I know it. Hey, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Turn this stone into bread. Show me your power. Jesus, you know the story, right? He responds three times with Scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. And then the second temptation was, the devil took him to the top of the the temple and he says, prove yourself that you're God's son. Throw yourself down and let God send angels to catch you. 
And if Jesus did that, everybody would go, wow, and follow him. And isn't that why he came? So that people would follow him. But Jesus said, no. The Bible says, don't put your God to the test. And you know the third temptation? is the most sinister temptation. You know why? Because the third temptation that Jesus tempted with was the very reason Jesus came to earth. And so the devil took him to the highest place in the city and says, look, everything that you see here will be yours. Didn't you come so that everybody will follow you, Jesus? This isn't what you want. All you've got to do is bow down to me. And what you came to do, I'll make sure happens. <laughs> and Jesus says, no. Worship God only and serve him only. I'm not going to worship you. You see, Jesus didn't give in to the pragmatism of just getting things done. And we cannot either. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him to the high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said no to pragmatism. No to getting results the wrong way. Because this is not the way that God intended for the church to be. So when I look back on the things that I learned in seminary and the movement of the church growth movement and what was taught about being seeker-sensitive, I come to realize that being seeker-sensitive has had some long-term effects on the church. There's been a fallout that I'm not sure, maybe I've got to do a little bit more research, but after being a pastor for the last 25 years, I've seen this happen in the church. And that is this. The seeker-sensitive church, the ecclesiology of the seeker-sensitive church was to make sure that the place that they came to was very comfortable for the unchurched. And that was the primary focus. Everything was seen through the lens of making sure that the unchurched came through those doors were comfortable. Right? Shortened sermons to 20 minutes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you can tell this is not a secret sensitive church. <laughs> Never preaching on sin or sacrifice or surrender. Wow, the people when they come in with technology and lights and great music. That, that was the plan back in those days. Have, have skits and great actors to just when people come in, they're, they're entertained. And I'm not sure that that's the right ecclesiology for the church of God. I say I'm not sure, I'm joking. <laughs> That's not the right ecclesiology for our church. You see, God's plan and God's purpose for the church is to make Jesus the center of the church because He is the way and He is the truth and He is the life. 
and the truth of God's word, church, is not comfortable. (laughs) That's why you're a little uneasy right now. And so am I. And this is what I've found. When you get two competing expectations in a relationship, the result of that is always conflict. Right? People want to make, they want to grow the kingdom of God. That's good, but we're going to do it this way. We're going to preach short sermons that are more self-help than anything. And, and we're not going to talk about sin and sacrifice. We're going to wow the people. And and the competing expectation is that over everything, Jesus is lifted up. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. And so you get these two expectations coming together. And it just produces conflict. Because the resolution is that neither of them get their way. If you are in any kind of relationship with another person, you understand that. That when, when, when your expectations don't come together, it just comes into conflict. I'll tell you a story. When Rochelle and I were young in our married life, we were living in Kansas City at the time while I was going to seminary, and God was so gracious to us. As young as we were, as broke as we were, we, we were able to buy a, a little tiny house, our first home. I was so proud. We had to borrow some money from Rochelle's dad. That wasn't his expectation, by the way. <laughs> and we've outfitted the house and furnished it, and this is our first home. And, and I thought, you know, I'm not a great decorator, but this is my home, and I want to, to, to put my pictures out, the things that I feel like make this home ours and beautiful. So I had this beautiful, very artistic Bruce Lee poster. <laughs> Right there. Tell me that's not artistic and put it up in the living room. I come back and it's gone. Come on, guys, help me out here. Look at the look at the poster. I find it in the garage. So you know what I do? I do what any foolish man would do. I put it up again. And I've never seen it since. (laughs) When you have competing expectations, conflict happens. It's the same way in the church. And in the church, when our expectations Do not come in line with God's. There's conflict that takes place. And and one of the biggest problems of the church growth movement and the seeker-sensitive movement, in my estimation, is this. That it has produced a generation of people that when they walk into the doors of a church, have an expectation that this place will cater to their own needs. And if, if this church doesn't do 
what I wanted to do? I'm out. And after 25 years of being a pastor, I have seen scores and scores and scores of people come in through the doors and leave. You have as well. And it's the truth. And I just wonder, church, I just wonder if it's not because we have a missed expectation of what church ought to be. If our ecclesiology is more about me than about lifting Jesus up. Because Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw people to myself. And we want to help Jesus, obviously. So let's do, let's find out what people like. And do that. And make everybody feel comfortable. And do that. And then we can, we can make that our ecclesiology. And build the kingdom that way. I think it's, it's done more harm in the long term than it has done good. And 15, 20 years ago, you know what was the most important question that people had in the church as they were hopping from one church to another? The most important question was, what do you got to offer me here at this church? Right? And then they'd find out, go to the next church. What do you guys have to offer? Okay. Next week, what if, and they will go church hopping, finding out, what does the church have to offer me? Because that has become the ecclesiology of a generation. Because we've allowed that to happen. And we've told them, and maybe it's not even their fault. We've told them, whatever you want, we'll make sure you're comfortable. But I will tell you this for sure, as a pastor for the last 25 years, that is this, that if your question to the church is, what do you have to offer me, nowhere in the world will you ever feel like your needs will be completely met and you'll stay at that church. Because another church will pop up that might offer something even better. And you're off and running. And so, instead of asking the wrong question of what does this church have to offer me? Maybe a better question or better questions should be, does this church preach the Bible? Do the people at this church gather to pray and seek God and His will for the church and for our lives? Maybe even this. Is this a place where God can use my passions and my gifts as an offering and gift to Him. Can God use me here? Well, what a different ecclesiology that is than what do you got for me? See, what I have found is that the greatest fulfillment, personally just for me, before I even became a pastor, the greatest fulfillment that I had as I was a believer of Jesus is this, that when I got to use the gifts that God had given me to serve Him in the church and other people came to know Jesus or what I did helped others and 
then blessed others. And God got the glory. And I said, oh, thank God for allowing me to be a small part of what you're doing in the life of the church. As opposed to, what do you got for me? (laughs) When we get to be used by God to build his kingdom in his church, oh, that is fulfillment like you've never understood unless you've gone through it yourself. And for those of you who, who make it out to the family mission trip, I use that all the time as an example because we go there to Takati to build a house for other people. We all work together as the body of Christ, as the church. By the end of the week, the home's built. We turn keys over to a family that's going to live in there for the next 30 years, hopefully. And we walk away with nothing except the joy of serving God and being used by Him. And you go, that's time well spent. Zach? That's life-changing for those of you who have gone. If not, come join us this year. I promise you, you will not leave the same. The greatest experience of ecclesiology we have is that when we give our best to God and God uses our little gifts and he changes the world right in front of our eyes and we get to be a part of it. That's awesome. I think John F. Kennedy got it right when he became president of the United States and he gave his inaugural speech. You guys remember that famous speech that John F. Kennedy gave? Here's what he said. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That's the famous part of his speech. Then he addressed the international community. We don't hear about this one very much. But this is what he said. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. John F. Kennedy in that one speech ignited a passion. He changed the perspective and changed America at that time. What if our ecclesiology comes along the same lines. And instead of asking, what does this church have for me? And I'll tell you this, this church does a lot of stuff. I am busy out the ears. <laughs> but I want you to know it's not for, so that I can offer you something. So that I can offer God something. And you can be a part of it. Our ecclesiology maybe should not be to ask this church, what can it do for you? But instead, ask What can we do together for the kingdom of God? Because the church was never meant to be a place where pleasing people came before pleasing God. And when our ecclesiology then turns from me, what does the church have for me? And being centered in continuing to lift Jesus higher, then we can live out Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when Jesus said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Church, that should be our ecclesiology. And can I invite you to start there? 
by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness for his glory and making this church a gift to him. Amen? Would you bow your heads and join me as we pray? And We're going to continue in worship to do that very thing, to keep Jesus at the center of this church so that as we build the kingdom of God, we can do it what I believe is the way God intended. Father in heaven, thank you for this message. That's a challenging message for me to preach because I feel like as I share this message, God, for a couple of years, I, I got it wrong. And we saw good fruit and people came into the doors of the church, but maybe we took our eyes off of you, Lord. And that's not what you intend the church to do. Help us, God, not to be a kind of church that it cares more about pleasing people than we do about pleasing you. May our ecclesiology continue to be born out of our Christology, where you are Messiah, you are Savior and our Lord, and we live our lives through that lens, reaching out to people out of the overflow of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that you've given to us. And we share that and extend it out into the world. And as we do that, we are being changed and transformed and you are lifted higher and higher. And as you are, God, draw people to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name.